In the software industry, conferences are crucial for developers, offering learning, networking, and collaboration opportunities. Attendees stay updated on the latest technologies, gain new skills, and connect with peers. These events expose developers to industry trends, inspire innovation, and foster professional growth. Overall, conferences play a vital role in advancing knowledge, building connections, and driving success in the developer community. In this episode, we'll discuss what makes a great conference and how Shift Conference became one of the largest events in Europe. Ivan Porazin is the Chief Developer Experience Officer at InfoBip and the CEO of Code Anywhere, and he joins us today. Check out the show notes to get your tickets for Shift Miami on May 23rd and Shift Croatia, which is later this year. This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler. He has published works covering a wide range of topics from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is head of developer relations and product marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Iman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I, I know we've had uh, some of your colleagues from Code Anywhere on the show back in the fall, but this is your first time on Software Engineering Daily, so glad you could be here. Uh, let's start off with uh, an introduction. Who are you? What do you do? And how'd you get to where you are today? Long introduction. We'll keep it short. Uh, I do things around developers, I guess. So from software originally to events and uh, lately DevRel. So it's like basically all around developers and helping them, helping make their life easier, I guess. I hope. Yeah. You, I feel like you must wear a ton of hats because you do a whole breadth of things. You're the Chief Development Experience Officer at InfoBip, uh, plus the CEO of Code Anywhere, and uh, I'm sure a whole bunch of other things. Uh, but we're focusing primarily on one of your accolades, which is the founder of the InfoBip Shift Conference. So maybe we could start there. What is the InfoBip Shift Conference? So the conference uh, originally just called Shift, so it's now called InfoBip Shift, as InfoBip is the company. So InfoBip is a cloud communications provider. Um, so if any of you haven't heard of it, they get it, they offer one API to be able to send SMS, email, voice. So think of an Uber driver if he calls you, that goes through. Anyway, that company is out of Croatia and they bootstrapped to a billion dollars in revenue, which I think is always super impressive. Um, and yeah, so originally shipped, uh, I created in my hometown in Split, Croatia. And I did it because with my own company or startup, I went to other conferences um, and they were just like so much fun, so energetic and nothing nothing like that was in the city where I live. And so I just wanted to create a super fun conference where people can learn stuff, but also have fun in a sense of now I couldn't have done it originally, but now they're like, you can drive supercars and you can drink mojitos. You've been in there. Um, and you can do all sorts of things. We have like an EDM party when it ends. So I try to always, I've always tried to incorporate fun and the ability, not just fun on its own, but that's people, I say we try to make serendipity happen so that people actually meet people in a fun environment, but also that you actually have talks that are serious and educational and that people want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I th- I'm glad you called out that InfoBip uh, bootstrapped to a billion dollars. That's that's one of those um, those like statistics I throw out to people that 
I meet from time to time. And everybody's, of course, like completely blown away by that because, you know, where I live in the in the Bay Area, most companies are, of course, always taking uh, venture capital to get to to that stage, let alone like a bootstrapping is, is just like a crazy, crazy thing to get all the way to that kind of, you know, revenue success, which is really awesome. And then, so you, uh, you mentioned that you started this conference in, in some ways because you enjoyed going to conferences, but there wasn't really anything that was going on in you know your city or maybe in the in the country of uh, of Croatia at that time. So, what was the main goal, sort of, to bring people to Croatia that rather than you having to go out and see them? Like, what was the original inspiration beyond just the locality for creating a conference? Because it's a lot of work to take on. It's the same amount of work. I mean, had I known, well, had I known, I probably would have done it because I've done it. I don't know. 16 times until now, up until now. Um, but yeah, the idea was twofold is like one. So Croatia, I think is like now fairly known in the sense that people travel, he traveled to Croatia now for like tourism, summer vacations, it game of Thrones. One was cool. Uh, people learned a lot because two of the main cities are, were filmed in Croatia. But when I started like Croatia was like, no one, no one, no one knew where it was. Um, and then also, so it was. There was two reasons for it. One, it was to bring um, people from the world to Croatia to see that it's a nice place, that the people are normal, that, you know, it. if people actually arrive there, then it's not outside of the realm that they can hire you, work for you, you know, invest in your company, whatever it may be, right? So, like, you now exist and that place exists because people have been there. But on the other hand, we also tried to help people from locality. I was privileged enough that I had a small little company before that, that could pay for, that I used funds to pay to travel around the world and go to other conferences. But a lot of people couldn't then, they can't now, but especially then, um, couldn't afford that. And then when you bring, because our speakers were always around the world. So when you bring these speakers to a city or country like this, where back then there was no direct connection, um, then it, I think it makes, I hope, it made an impact. I think it made an impact with a lot of people that were for the first time able to meet people like you and say, oh, there is venture capital, for example. I'm like, I'm not talking about developer uh, tooling currently, but definitely like you can open their eyes at that this exists because he, the similarity as for people from, let's say, the US or the Bay Area specifically didn't, don't really comprehend that other places exist until they actually see it. It's vice versa the same, even though people from this part of the world watch you know, American TV for the most part, for them, it's all TV. That stuff doesn't happen. It's all entertainment, but that stuff does happen. And so actually connecting those two personas together was something that I really wanted to do and was the underlining um, idea behind it. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, the when you, um, you know, bring things together, uh, it's going to feel much more tangible. It's like when you have that sort of like, uh, like physical, like, presence to it, it, it feels suddenly more attainable than something that's like, maybe you're already seeing on television or something like that. Like I grew up in a small town in, in Canada until, you know, when as a kid, like the idea of like moving to California or having any connection with the West coast of another country or something like that was completely foreign and seemed un completely unachievable. It was just something that existed on television. But then of course, once you've, you know, done that, it's, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it takes a little bit of, uh, to, to get there. And, uh, I think like bringing those worlds together is, is great and it's going to facilitate a lot of innovation and 
you know, you started Shift and then, you know, Game of Thrones happened in Croatia. Now there's a boost in tourism. I think by like the transient properties, you know, the tourism industry in Croatia probably owes you a little bit of a kickback because you started this all. Well, they actually helped out, to be honest. So when we were struggling, so the first three years, we actually lost money on the conference. So the first three were in the red. And actually, the um, I forget which agencies it was specifically, but part of it was from the tourism. They didn't give a lot, but they did sponsor it with what they could, which we appreciated at the time. It was great because you needed, we, you, I mean, me, us as the conference organizer, needed as much funds as we could to make that happen, right? Now we have great sponsors uh, uh, that come, like, you know, the ones that you see in normal developer conferences, Red Hat, Microsoft, Docker, whoever, like, and now that part is not an issue, but like 13 years ago or 12 years ago is when they started, um, it was very much a struggle to get those companies to sponsor us. So yeah, they actually did help us a bit. So um, I thank them for that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what do you think is unique about the conference versus, you know, other developer conferences that you've been to? I don't know. I mean, I should probably ask you more than ask me. Uh, I sort I don't know. I just, um, I tried to bring myself in as much as I can, myself in the sense of what I would like at conferences and what I like to do at conferences. So people usually, and that's interesting, right? So developer conferences are actually very specific that everyone are usually the seats are full and people are inside listening. Uh, you have other tech conferences where it's not. That much, or it's like you have seats full, but you have that many more people on the outside, like networking and and moving together. Um, and I'm more of like the networking part. So I, I personally like the content that you can consume on a conference. You can probably watch on YouTube on the flight home. Um, and I think the power of the conference is actually meeting the people because, I mean, we were all in the unfortunately in the pandemic, and then there were there was like. A time when people thought conferences will only be virtual, right? It will only be like this, like what you and you and me are talking about right now. There is, as you mentioned a minute ago, something in that physical presence of meeting people. And I think that's a huge part of the value. And I try to make that, you know, as enjoyable as possible. And we think about that probably more than about the content, I think. Um, so we, we really do think about that as much as we can. Like, how will it feel to walk in the door or how does it feel? And sometimes it might not look great. And sometimes it's constraints that are outside of our power, usually budget, which is a constraint. Um, but what we trot, when we, we do think about, you know, we are walking in, what do you see first? What do you feel first? What do you hear first? So it's everything from the music that's going on in the pauses, the music when someone's coming up on stage, the audio visual presentation of things, the types of stages. That, I mean, all those things we try to think about. And I think that shows, I'm not sure what it is exactly, but when we talk to other speakers and you've probably talked to them as well, they all say they love the energy and the energy is great. And I have no other way to say that is that like, that's a place that I would have wanted to be in. And we think about that when orchestrating the conference. And so I guess that makes us unique, I hope. Yeah, I, I think I think definitely, uh, you know, as a, I haven't been as an, so much as an attendee, but as a speaker, I think it's definitely a unique experience where it feels like there's a lot of attention to detail to actually bring speakers together and kind of create like a whole experience for them uh, where, you know, there's like, you know, networking opportunities. You, you end up building a community within the, like the, essentially the subset of the people who are speaking there. It feels very welcoming in a place where you want to come back and speak at. And I've spoken at a lot of conferences over the years. And a lot of times it's just like, you know, you show up 
to do your speaking gig, you kind of don't really know where you're going. Uh, like you're kind of left your own devices and you don't necessarily have that connected tissue to the other speakers and connecting with the other speakers also gives you connections to the audience that's there as well. And then you, you can feed off that energy and you get to meet lots of people. So, and those are relationships that I've taken, um, you know, continued to build and, and, uh, beyond just the conference in terms of, you know, working relationships or other opportunities I've pursued. So I think there's definitely some secret sauce that's going on there. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it's just the attention to detail to the networking piece. And I also think that, uh, like you were saying, there was a world for the last few years where a lot was virtual and, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a decent bandaid and it helps, you know, sometimes with people who can't afford to travel certain places, I get it, but it's hard to substitute something like, you know, seeing like a giraffe in person versus watching it on television. Like it's a completely different experience or, you know, the difference between, I don't know, like listening to your favorite band or watching even their concert on YouTube versus being there in person. That's going to be a very, very different experience for somebody. I think that we don't like as a society, we generally don't appreciate, and I don't want to get too philosophical, but just like energy. So there's a different energy, right? Like if we were in the same room, the energy would be slightly different. But like we do like, you know, a, a proper high hug, yo, like, how are you? Whatever here. It's like, there's, there's this sort of filter or barrier between that. Um, and so you can't replicate that any other way for now uh, until you reverse him. And to your point about speakers, and I recall this now that you mentioned it, like speaker, I have spoken at other conferences and they weren't the same. Although I don't know what it's like to be a speaker at Shift because I was never like a speaker in that sense. But we were always trying to make sure like that they were comfortable, like the speakers were comfortable, that someone will pick them up and all that. Because the worst thing in the world is when you land in a country that you don't know. And so Croatia, we started in Croatia, now we're doing the UN in Miami. But Croatia, like you, a lot of people that were trying to travel to the region would call me up and like, is it safe? Like for people listening, it's super safe. Like you can walk out midnight, 1 a.m. It's super safe, but you still don't know. So like landing at an airport and, you know, trying to figure out how to get a taxi or whatever might not be the most comfortable experience. So like, let's offset that for the, remove that for the speaker, have someone pick them up, drive them to the hotel. And the hotels were, we try to have like four or five stars, depending on what we can get. But it's like, you want people to be comfortable because they're doing you a service as well. So speakers, I mean, you've spoken at a lot of conferences and obviously you have value as a speaker because you get to talk about, you know, whatever, talking about whatever interests you and you grow your social presence, but you're also doing a service to the organizers because a lot of conferences, you have community conferences in general that are just trying to, you know, like nonprofit in the sense, but there are conferences that are serious profit generators. And for you to be able to go and sort of help them make a profit, if you're talking about that, and and that you're not treated in the best possible manner, for me, it would, was never a thought. So it was never a thought that we wouldn't do this, and, but obviously for others it is, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how we look at that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's one one thing that you said there that I want to come back to, which is the the safety factor. I get it. Um, you know, if, if people who haven't, uh, you know, heard of Croatia or been there before, maybe they, they're like, don't know what the safety level is. Me, I, I've traveled a lot of places in the world and I felt incredibly safe the entire time. Was it? Like, I, I did not worry one little bit about my, I felt very, very comfortable there. Um, and uh, 
uh, much more comfortable a lot of times than I feel in San Francisco, which is a city that I live in. So, yeah. uh, so it was great in terms of that. But you know, as the over the years, you you said that you've done this like 16 times, and you started sort of um, you know in the red, humble beginnings. I imagine the conference has scaled a lot over the years. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced actually organizing a growing sort of scaling conference like this? Uh, the biggest challenges were letting go. I think that was the biggest challenge. So, um, in the sense of like being a conference organizer during the day or two days, you die because you're just talking to everyone. Everyone wants to talk to you for some good and some bad reasons. So yeah, I'm like bad reasons, something doesn't work, something's bad. And then they're like, oh, great. It's awesome. I want to talk to you. And that will destroy your energy. Right. Um, and you have to be up, you have to be the first one at the event and you have to be the last one at the after party. Well, not anymore. I don't do that. But I used to be like, you know, the captain sinks, goes off last of a sinking ship, right? So you have to be the last one. You have to wake up in the morning. And when I was a younger, I was probably able to do that. Um, but to be able to do that with energy, you have to um, trust that. So the production team or whoever is setting up, you know, the venue, that they will do it. But before I would stay till it was done. So I would be at the venue until, you know, the projectors are up, the screens are up, the food. Like I would check everything that everything's there. Um, and transitioning from me being the only one checking that to, you know, off, you know, sort of delegating it to the team and then the de team delegating it to, you know, outside vendors and that now you trust your vendors and you trust your team. You have to trust everyone a long way because you can't keep, like we now have seven stages. It'll be 95 speakers. There's no way you can keep that in your head, all of that. And, and, and still there's a way to do that. Plus you have to do that and be alive for the next two days. So actually making that transition from will it be perfect and all that to I trust these people to do the job. I think it was the hardest thing for me in a sense personal. And uh, on the other side, the hardest thing was for like actual business perspective or on self-sustainable perspective was how do we get people to actually how to get companies to actually sponsor the conference. Because people, and I've read a couple of books about organizing conferences and I actually thought about writing one because there's like three um, or whatever. There's very few and they're very, they're very light. And it's like, oh, you make a plan, you pick a dates, you pick a venue, you find speakers, you find sponsors and you sell tickets. It's like, no, that's not, that's, that's like, that's not. Yeah, and even if you look at, so we've always been in Croatia. We've expanded across, we did multiple in Croatia, but. Now we're doing the first one in Miami, right? And it's the same brand, same speakers. So it's like, we have a base of speakers. Can we get speakers? Yes. Do we have a brand? Yes. Do we know the logistics? Yes. But you still have to get sponsors and attendees to arrive to a, for them, it's a brand new conference and that's not easy. There's no, oh, I'm going to take uh, whatever X number of uh, dollars and put it in whatever is social uh, ads and people are going to come. Like, no, that's not happening. There is hard hustle and social engineering ingenuity that you have to do and go for people to actually respect the event that it's like on par with some other event that they will invest their time and money. It's not just money. Sometimes you can offer a booth for free or a ticket for free and people still won't come. So it's like they have to be willing to invest. And that was from, from an organizational standpoint, the hardest thing to switch into from so small conference to a serious conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine, you know, what you said about like the hard thing around like letting go, anybody who's founded any kind of company 
you know, it's going to reach a stage essentially where that company scales beyond what they can keep in their head. And uh, I think that's probably a challenge that pretty much every founder kind of goes through where they're like, okay, I need to let go or, you know, like this isn't going to scale or I'm going to drive myself crazy. Basically, you're going to burn out. And then the, um, you know, I've uh, never organized an event at the scale of, of shift, but I have organized a number of events over the years. And it, it, it is a ton of work to not only do it, but to sort of push to get people there to attend. And there's always this, like, for me, panic in the back of my head that I'm going to show up on the day and nobody's going to be there or very few people are going to be there. Have you, has that something you've, you've uh, also had that, that level of panic? Yeah, it's, it's insane. So the first year, the first was the worst. The first year, um, everything fell apart. Like my life fell apart at that point. There was like so much, and those are private details again, but it was like horrible. And the conference, we said there was going to be like 250 people or whatever we said it was going to be. And we had 10 tickets sold. Sold, I mean, some were free or some were paid. So we're talking like two people paid and eight people took free tickets, right? Like nobody was like, this is going to be a disaster. Um, but we did push really hard, but we didn't know some things. And people ended up because it was free. And even the paid people, like people make decisions very last minute. And the younger, so... The younger your conference is, the more last minute people will get tickets. So, so if your conference is a year, so it's the first year, probably the majority of people will get tickets in the last three days or four days. Um, and so as it gets older, the conference, then it gets steadier, then it gets into plans and budgets and whatever, then it gets, that curve gets, you know, um, earlier and earlier. Um, and so with shift just for the Croatian one, like this year, the sense of sold tickets, um, there is like every single year, if you look at the graph, like we have now sold at this time more than we've sold, like double than what we sold at the same time, same period, um, the year before. Uh -huh. And so I've had the first year we had 10 tickets and ended up when we opened the doors, there was a line of like 180 people or something like that. So people actually did come and I've, my biggest stress on that is it's always been a stress for the first like three or four years and then sort of goes back. Um, but I don't know if you watched the documentary of the fire festival. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So when I was watching that, that was like my life. So, um, ultimately the, there was a scam. So people did like the, the event wouldn't have happened, but there is a point where you're exactly the same. Um, I forgot what the name of the organizer was. Um, like to create an event, you have to create hype to create hype. You have to sell everyone. You have to tell the speakers, oh, there's going to be. X amount of people. If it's all sponsors, it'll be X amount of people. And you're basically making this up as you go. Like there has to be thought behind you. Like I estimate because of this and that, this will happen, but you can't guarantee that these people will be here. And so you're actually telling everyone the same story at the same time and hoping that something comes out of it. It's like the chicken and the egg problem, but you need it all the time, right? The speakers have to believe that the people are there. And the people have to believe that the speakers are there and the sponsors have to believe that they're both there. And if you get it right, they all end up coming but if you get it wrong then you get a fire festival right you get <laughs> nothing oh very <laughs> definitely it's when i was watching that movie it was like oh wow this is horrible and i actually felt it in my gut so yeah i've had it for years i probably took like six years to get over the stress are people actually come to the conference so yeah uh, i felt it very very well yeah i really like the uh the the explanation there of 
it, it really is a chicken and egg problem. Like you, you know, the speakers aren't going to show up if they think they're not going to have an audience. Audience isn't going to show up if the speakers aren't going to be there, and you can't pay for it if you don't have sponsors. And the sponsors need to believe that both of those things are going to be there. So it's like you, some you have to sell somebody at some point in order to get that going. Um, I, I think uh, too, like I wouldn't imagine that me there's going to be a huge amount of engagement at the conference this year because I feel like what I'm seeing just from my own experience of going to to conferences and also sponsoring events that you know it's part of my day job is there's a huge amount of um uh, of people right now that are ready to get back to conferences and in person like everyone has sort of zoom fatigue I think last year there was some of that but people were kind of still dipping their toes in they weren't sure you know what the state of the world was how safe it was and now this year it's just like open up the floodgates, like let's send everybody everywhere uh, and we're ready to get together. So I, I imagine this year it's going to, um, you know, really, really be uh, a lot of people, a lot of interest uh, that want to come. Yeah, I think that especially in the U.S., um, I felt in the U.S., because well, I travel a lot and as well as you do, but last year a lot of the world already sort of kind of opened up and was really up and going, but I felt like the U.S. was still fairly close last year, close in the sense that people were still fearful um uh, and i mean it, it's totally right that it's that they were but i'm just saying that was the field and so when you go to last year in the u.s they were very much at half capacity or half of what it was the year before or prior to um the pandemic but this year it's basically it doesn't exist anymore like we forgot it happened and we're all back yeah i think actually so croatia yesterday um said it's the end of the pandemic officially i didn't know that was a thing but it was like radio and news and whatever and radio. I sound like I sound really old when I said radio right now. But yeah, he officially said it was over. So uh, I think it's going to be a good year. I mean, I think the the market correction is going to hit marketing budgets a bit. Um, but altogether, I think people are really, really now open to be, to engage once again to talk to people face to face. Yeah. So. You've been doing this, uh, you know, for a long time now, and you know, looking back on that, that you know, the variety of events that you've done. What are some of the you know most memorable speaker moments that you that you remember over the years? Um, my most memorable. And I always say this every single time. Um, and if he so of course this was, besides me uh, speaking, yeah, yeah, besides you. So that's exactly what I was gonna say. Girl, yeah, uh, no, no, there's like. To your to to what to your point, uh, I'll get into the exact ones. But what I found now, so when you're an organizer for a conference, for the most part, um, the interactions with the speakers, like there's not much super business that you can do um, business relationships, as you mentioned, with the speakers, because you're not building anything outside the conference, which is not the domain of the speakers. That you're probably building software in general. Um, and so what I found is now that I'm sort of transitioning out of conferences on its own, because now that's InfoBoops, it's part of my team still, but it's not something I do. It's now where you can actually talk to be these people, speakers and people like yourself, where it's like, hey, I'm doing this. Does it make sense to talk about it? Or can you introduce me to this person, whatever it may be? Like if the network was there, but actually when you have value to offer other people now, it's a completely different conversation. And they've known you for X, Y years. So you're like a trusted person or trusted enough that they'll like pick up the phone and talk to you. And so I feel that that's been really beneficial over the last two years since I've been uh, not running it full time, but the team ends. But memory, memory wise, um, I used to do 
fireside uh, chats. I used to run them at the conference as well. And so one of the ones that stuck with me, so uh, Justin Khan, which is the co-founder of Twitch, uh, among other things. And so he, there was just one, one sentence and it was like, all you have to do is survive. Like he said, he's a, I remember this on YouTube. I'm a shitty coder, shitty marketer, shitty this, shitty that. And I just survived long enough. And they pitched whatever they, they, um, uh, not pitched, but they, um, pivoted from a lot of things from Justin TV up until selling it for almost a billion dollars. And that sort of stuck with me. And that's why the conference ended up being what it is because I would have like shut it down way before and other things that I've done. But basically just survive long enough and you'll uh, eventually make your way. And so that fireside chat was actually the most, maybe not the most inspirational. Like there's, there's really smart people that talked about a lot of different things across the years, but something that's actually hit home for me, um, and the step with me throughout the years, that's probably the most. Yeah. I think so much of, uh, like success in business, you know, whether that's building software and, and growing a company to, you know, running an event like this, a lot of it comes down to just like a willingness to to take pain for a very long time until things start to work, right? Just a lot of resilience, a lot of grit that goes into it. And essentially, you know, what he had said, like surviving, surviving long enough to, um, and, and sort of not giving up. Yeah. And I found that that's, and you, you know, this as well, since, and we won't go into the health and fitness podcast version of this, but it's like everything that makes sense, you have to go through pain and that's basically it. So yeah, like if it's going to the gym, if it's like whatever it is, work like you have to go through the pain and sometimes it's longer sometimes it's harder but without going through it you can't make it so yeah that's something i've learned yeah and that's uh you know there's no we used to say when i had my startup that there's no uh no growth without pain uh, so but suffering is optional <laughs> or a choice yeah, yeah, yeah but suffering is a choice that's a good one yeah suffering is a choice so you mentioned, you know, that you're now taking the conference to the U.S. in Miami, which is, is coming up quickly. So why bring the conference to the U.S. at this point? And how is this going to be maybe different than what the main event is in Croatia? So I always wanted it to be an international conference. Um, so we started in Croatia. We did one year we had one. We booked one for Dublin. Um, and, but the issue was, it was, well, it was planned for April, 2020. Um, so a few days before the world health organization said it was a pandemic. So that died. Um, and we picked there because it was closer and it was less scary, I guess, but it was always a plan to go to the U S and now as a part of InfoBib, so InfoBib, a lot of people don't know as a brand name, especially, but even developers a lot don't because the, I mean, the self-service option didn't exist till just a few years ago. And US is, uh, you know, one of the biggest markets for developers. Um, and so one of the things that I've been chartered with is helping expand throughout the US. And it may, and that sort of perfectly makes sense along with the conference. Because a conference is a place where you can bring speakers and sponsors and attendees, which all can be, you know, your partners, your customers, whatever. They don't have to be anything, but they potentially can be. And you can do it in a sort of a fun setting. Um, and so the U.S. was always, so Blue International was always there. Um, U.S. was always there, but it was about the city, which one we were going to pick. And so you've been to uh, Croatia. So it's now in Zadar. It used to be in Split, but both of them are really close. And they're both Mediterranean on the seaside, on the coastal line. And so we're picking a U.S. city. We wanted one with the same flair. That makes sense. So Palm Trees 
you know, boats, uh, uh, seaside or ocean, wherever we want. And we decided on Miami because of that. There's a couple of reasons. And so it, it feels very similar. It's bigger, but it feels similar um, from a lifestyle perspective. Um, also in the tech scene, I mean, there's people that are for and against Miami, and I don't want to get into that polarization argument, San Francisco versus Miami versus New York versus Seattle versus Austin. Like, I don't want to get into that, but we can all say that there is more people in tech in Miami now than there was previously, and or there is tech in general there. So that goes a long way. So the yeah, usual conference spot would be, let's say, Vegas, a lot of tech conferences, like reInvent or whatever in Vegas. And so we didn't want do that but we also wanted it to be something that i've learned with creative conferences you have something i don't know if it's the right word word but destination event and local event and so local event is a place where where an event is held but most of the people are locals and so and a destination is where a lot of people are not local and the difference is that if it's a local event a lot of people will in fact go home at 6 p.m or 4 p.m or whatever it is because they have kids and family and you know obligations but when it's the destination event is most people are like oh let's have fun and then i can go to the after party i can stay out i can sleep in and then go back to the conference so we wanted it to be a destination event or at least potential destination event but that it has enough local um people in the tech scene that can make him for a first event sort of fill out the space and we when you add that it's sort of similar to where it's originally, but it has that same flair as the cities that we do it. It felt like a logical choice. So for the first year, so that's sort of why it's Miami. Um, and so what is it going to look like? What's going to be the difference? Um, we're, it's going to be a smaller version of the conference for year one. So we plan, it's going to be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people, something in that range. So the one in Croatia this year will probably be 5,000. So we're talking about, you know, flex 10x uh, larger. Um, then what is over then smaller than what is in Croatia. Uh, but it's, we're going to try to do it the same feel. So it's going to be just a roll back version. So, um, we're going to try the same fun things around it, but obviously some of them we won't have. So the conference will have all the fun things that will try to, uh, ensure the serendipity that happened. The speakers are the same. You're coming again. Uh, not in the bad sense, but in a good sense, cause I love the speakers that attend uh, shift. So it will be a smaller event, more concentrated, but it should still have that fun and event uh, essence of meeting people. And throughout the years, we actually do think that it'll actually surpass the Croatian one. So hopefully we can do like a 10,000 person developer event in uh, in the US. So that's sort of the plan for the US. And this is sort of our first um, first toe in the water, is the expression? <laughs> uh, not one I'm familiar with, but it could be. Uh, but I think it makes a lot of sense given the the, the charter from InfoBip that you were tasked with to you know kind of bring InfoBip to the U.S. developer market, like essentially leverage the value that you have with the with the conference and bring some you know building essentially more brand recognition for InfoBip in the United States and bring those developers together. And, and I do feel like it's something that's gonna you know grow. I, I don't see why you won't be at you know ten thousand attendees and sometime in the, in the near future. From a content perspective, you know, for people who are less familiar with the speakers in the in the um, in the event, what kind of content can people expect at the U.S. event? Bro, it's all of the the all of the shift conferences have been, um, they've had multiple themes, so we're not strictly. So usually with the developer conference, it will be um, 
cloud native or it will be front end or it'll be specifically JS or something like that. We try to create an event that can change over the years and it can be different at the same time. So what we do is we look at general trends in the developer ecosystem, what's happening now. And then what we find is most interesting, we add that to the event. So I'll give you an example for Croatia, which you have been. So we have a main stage, which will probably have more evergreen topics or super cutting edge topics, but high level. So you want, you know, probably this year we'll have an opening keynote, something with AI. I'm guessing it's, I feel that it'll still be hot um, in a couple months, uh, but we have smaller and breakout um, stages, which where one will be, you know, web three software development, or it will be cloud native, or it'll be specifically mobile development or specifically something else. So it has different stages for different themes because we want to connect all these developers together. And also when you do something that size, it's hard to stay very niche in, in one theme. So using that as a blueprint in Croatia, in the US, it will also be, we will also have multiple themes. It is a one day event with one stage. So we will try to make the themes sort of flow together. So uh, probably lighter at the beginning, and I don't know if the final agenda is up, but it will then try to be, if it's cloud native, then there'll be a couple of cloud native, if it's a bit of front end and a couple of front end so that you're not to, you know, jumping back and forth, but so that it has sort of a flow from beginning to end, because we, even though it's just one stage in one event, we still wanted to get that width of population and sort of put down our like anchor that this is what it's going to be in the future. But as it grows, we'll split those out into their own stage. Yeah. I mean, you know, before, at the beginning, we talked about is to kind of moving a little bit away from shift. I had mentioned that you're also, you know, CEO of Code Anywhere, the CDXO of InfoBip. And I guess I feel like a natural question. I'm sure you get it all the time. I think I feel like I've asked you this before, but how do you like balance all these like responsibilities? Like, do you actually sleep? There is no balance. No, uh, there, <laughs> I, so in the, in the sense of balance, and I think the balance is, and this is like, this is a health podcast for us again. Um, so I tried to do that seven, eight hours of sleep a day. And that's the only thing I have balanced throughout the day. Uh, everything else I balance out across larger blocks. So I'll basically work, uh, Sunday till Saturday for like seven days a week for three months or four months or whatever it is. And then I'll take two weeks off or whatever it is. So I do it in that manner. And that's the only way you can, I think, do all these things because right now you and me are talking, um, and we're having this podcast is great. And then there's probably you and I both have calls after this, and then you have a bunch of email and then you actually have, have to do concentrated work at some point. Um, so yeah, so they usually do that over the weekends, but I don't have children yet. Um, so that also helps with that. So, um, I don't know how you do it and I have one on the way. So we'll see how, how, how we'll be able to balance all those things, um, when that changes. And I know, um, you, you are also into having like a, a pretty consistent, like, you know, fitness, a focus on fitness as well. You know, is that something that you feel like is, is also key to your performance, you know, your ability to work efficiently and focus? I think that helps out mostly with the emotional roller coaster that is running all these things. So sort of like, uh, throughout the day. So you have good days and bad days. You've had them. I've had them. A lot of us have had them. Um, a lot of us have them every single day. And sometimes there's more bad days in a row. Uh, but when you have that 
balance that you know, like a, you will sleep, you will wake up, the new day will come, and you have enough time to recharge, at least those seven, eight hours in between, it it sort of balances you out that you don't go completely off the rail, uh, off your rims, I guess the word is. Uh, on that historically, like we've probably been, like when you're younger, you probably like work without sleeping for a while and do all these things, but you're then very much emotionally unbalanced and you can go either super high or super low, whatever it is, and then you can't work very well or you quit or you stop or something frustrates you too much. But when you have that, it sort of keeps you inside of a barrier, which is like, it doesn't go too bad or doesn't go too high. And you're sort of inside of that. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but. Um... Yeah, I imagine like, you know, part of the, the value is that you know, if you're doing something physically strenuous, it uh, forces you to essentially stop thinking about that, you know, growing to-do list. So it gives kind of your brain a rest the same way that you might get from sleep. So that's kind of maybe how you restore that, that, that balance. And also you have an anchor. I don't know if you've noticed that is like when you have a very daunting task or, or issue, you, you're usually mind is blocked into like, if I don't do that, or if I don't make it, I'll die, whatever it is, it's like super bad. But when you're doing that strenuous thing every single day or every 24 hours, you know that's happening afterwards. So whatever happens, however sort of bad, like that strenuous thing is afterwards. So you, what you said is absolutely correct, but you also have this, that you know, um, whatever happens, time will pass. So I'll get to that next thing. Listen, so listen. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it goes back to our, our conversation about just, you just need to survive. Right. So, and so. You know, as we start to wrap up here, what's sort of next for the shift conference? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about there? So growth, I think, so we have a lot of uh, interest from the company internally to do it at other places or other continents specifically, which I think is amazing, but also crazy at the same time. So very daunting task. And one thing people like organizing back to your issue is like, like you get stressed out when people arrive. So for the Croatian one, I don't have that. For the Miami one, it's like it, the numbers are good. So there'll be people will be fine now, but it's not easy breaking into a new market, into new culture, into new everything, as well as born and raised in Canada as well. So like US isn't that different. I mean, it's different, but not that different. But now going to Latin America or Southeast Asia and doing it, that's a whole other ballgame. So doing something, uh, at high quality um, and where you can create. And sort of, sort of to say, to create those serendipitous uh, occurrences, you have to also understand the culture of the majority of the people that are at your event. And so there is things that go across cultures, but there are things that are specific to cultures as well. So it's a lot harder than just let's, oh, let's go out and build this event somewhere else. Like others have failed, um, large events have failed going out to, uh, places where they're not aware much about the culture. So, um, growth in a sense, uh, more locations, more event will surely happen. But I also think the ones that are here, I like our flagship event is the one in Croatia, but it's still not where I wanted it to be. Like when I close my eyes, imagine the perfect event, it's still not there. And what I mean is like still like some speakers I still haven't gotten that I wanted to get like production volume still isn't like as high as I want it, um, I probably will never get production as high as I want it. But uh, I digress. There was a conference in Vienna that doesn't no longer exist. It was called Pioneers. They were super cool. They did it in the Hofburg Palace. And they had like DJs and light shows. And they had mountain bike 
like crazy uh drivers doing loops on stage and it was just like insane i like <laughs> like i like that and so i don't think we'll get to the point that it makes any sorts of financial sense to do that um but like getting pretty close to to what i want on that end would be would be ideal um so yeah getting some more of the speakers and getting that production value where i wanted in that event and there's some other things that i would like to incorporate into the event that i haven't yet those are so but i feel it's all more fine-tuning now than actually like if you look at a curve of growth it's getting to those point of diminishing returns like these little things we want to uh like get better um so it's a quote-unquote perfect event <laughs> yeah yeah it's like uh is is essentially you know 90 percent of the way there good enough uh while you can go and focus on other things like how much optimization do you really need to deliver sort of more roi for the event at this point probably not that much but maybe personal roi i think it's more personal like i, I don't think anyone will notice someone that comes to the event like the difference is it's like good enough fun enough whatever uh, it is for but it's more and i think that's the crazy part when you were the owner founder whatever you want to call it like you want it more personally than anything else like most people wouldn't notice it and don't notice it uh but you want it for you but i guess that's why it's an enjoyable conference because we try that as hard as we can right yeah you're always going to see all the little flaws and imperfections more so than than anybody else but it's probably that you know drive essentially to to make it perfect that also makes it a great event so well anyway uh Aiden, i want to thank you so much for being here uh, i'll see you in person very soon so i'm excited about that and so, thanks also so much for including me in so many of the shipped events over the past year they're always uh, a very well run, as we talked about, and fun to attend. And I recommend, of course, anyone listening that you should definitely check them out. But thanks again for being here and, and cheers. No, thank you. And I thank you for being so supportive. You helped us with the events and outside the events. And little, we've also had failed little meetups, which you've helped out with as well. So I like appreciate that. So yeah, thank you. All right. Cheers.